0: Welcome to the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas, here with my colleague Shira Schoenberg. The ways of Beacon Hill can be mysterious, with the public sometimes cut off from the back rooms where deals are cut and decisions are made. But it's not just the public that is often left in the dark. Lawmakers themselves frequently cast votes on important issues based on less than rigorously vetted evaluations of what a bill would actually do. A new research center aims to change that. The Center for State Policy Analysis, which is being launched at Tufts University, will serve as a state-level version of the Congressional Budget Office, the federal agency that evaluates the impact of legislative proposals in Washington. The Policy Center will not only carry out analyses of major proposals on Beacon Hill, but will also evaluate the impact of ballot questions that ask voters to make important policy decisions. Evan Horowitz, a former data journalist at the Boston Globe, is director of the new center, and he is here with us today on the podcast.
1: Welcome, Evan. Michael, it's great to be here. That's a great blurb, and I'm wondering if I could steal it and uh, use it like in mission statements and whatnot. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh,
0: and uh, we're, we're, we're glad to talk a little about this new center, so just give people a sense of what it is that the center is aiming to do, and, and, and what's the vacuum that you're trying to fill that has existed
1: so, I mean, I, I mean, you summarize it beautifully. I mean, I think of it in two parts. One part on the legislative side, which is that, you know, state legislators are understaffed for the most part, um, and they have a ton of responsibilities. So, being able to do detailed research on all of the legislative proposals that come their way is often a daunting if not impossible task. So, in that regard, we'd love to provide a kind of external capacity for legislators. If they're debating something, if they're considering a proposal, we'll go out, dig into the research, find out what what it shows on that issue, uh, what has worked, what hasn't worked, what have states tried, um, what other alternative approaches exist, and provide that that, uh, information to them and to the public. That's half of it. The other half is on the ballot questions. Same kind of thing. I mean, increasingly, major lawmaking gets done on the ballot, right? It doesn't go through the state house; it goes directly to citizens, and they make decisions about whether marijuana should be legal um, or whether nurse staffing ratios should be uh, set at a certain level, or as it'll be this one, what, what reimbursement rates at nursing homes should be. And there's no agency dedicated to analyzing the impact of these initiatives. Uh, so what you get instead are dueling reports from opponents and proponents, um, and so we think you know it would be essential, really. It will be essential in the future and has been essential in the past, even if it's been lacking, uh, to do independent nonpartisan assessment, and we're going to do that.
2: So, Evan, there are literally thousands of legislative bills and proposals out there. How are you going to decide which ones to look at?
1: So, we're not going to do thousands. I'll start with that. You're right. Uh, there are lots of legislative proposals. So, the, the criteria for assessment is um, meaningful impact, uncertain outcome, um, short time frame. So it's something that's likely going to be voted on within, say, three, six months. And it's going to be have a meaningful impact on people's lives in the state. And information could make a difference. That is, it isn't a, a predetermined outcome. Um, so it's hard to say exactly how many that is, but having looked back over previous legislative sessions, it seems to be something like 20 to 30 per two-year session. So at full strength, that's what we're hoping for, 15, 10 to 15 kind of analyses on the legislative side per year. And is it... I mean, are there some sort of questions that are going to lend themselves more to this
0: sort of analysis than others? I guess I'm thinking, I mean, at some level, there's got to be some sort of quantification, right, involved. Um, And and, and there are some issues that it sort of strikes me both have kind of a quantitative side, but then there's another dimension to them that I'm not sure quite how you'd evaluate. I'm thinking of, I mean, when you talk about uh, major battles we've had over the ballot, we had a couple of years ago this huge Showdown uh, over charter school, uh, uh, the charter school cap in the state, and so I mean you can try to sort of run certain numbers on it, but then there's also just sort of questions about this different model of of public education
1: and how you feel about it. So I think I mean there there are a couple ways I guess to interpret that question. One of them is the big one is I will say. Not every important vital civic question is susceptible to analysis. Some right, of them come right. down to values. Right. And we're not going to make, take positions on values. That's part of what it means to be nonpartisan is to really focus on those things which can be analyzed. So on the charter school question, there are definitely some issues you can assess. Uh, how effective have charter schools been in terms of student education in other states? Uh, what kinds of models seem to have worked? What kinds of haven't. However, there's also an underlying question about educational values um, that exceeds any analysis we're going to do, and that you know we leave to voters. It's one of those. It's one of the, it's one of those questions where it makes actual might make actual sense to ask voters. I feel it's, it's a values question,
0: right? Or I'm thinking about casinos or something. There's yeah. there's a lot to look at in terms of impact of casino on yeah. state revenue, on jobs. There's a lot of ways to run the numbers, but then at some but then point, there's like a
1: big ethical question. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but there's another way to interpret the question, which is like even some of those. There are even some of which are not values questions, but are which are still hard to analyze. Like I don't know that ranked choice voting is necessarily a values issue, um, and that's coming on the ballot, and it's and it's one of the things you guys plan and to do. Plan an to analysis do, of, but yes, um, and, but it, it can't be like a mathematical analysis of the impact of ranked choice voting because um, that's not really that's not really approachable not really in that way. Hmm. Um, but what you can do is a qualitative assessment of say how people have responded. In those states or regions that have switched over to ranked choice voting, what kinds of problems have arisen, uh, what kinds of unforeseen uh, difficulties or benefits can we identify that might help with a transition here? So it's true that not everything is susceptible to pure quantification, but in a lot of cases, there is meaningful analysis research that can be done, even on those questions where you can't really just sort of pin a number on it.
2: Taking another example, I know you mentioned that the TCI, the Transportation Climate Initiative, is one of the first things that you're going to be looking at. We've already seen some analysis done. You know, how much money will this add to, will this you know, raise for states? How much money will this cost drivers? What kind of value add could you give to a subject like TCI?
1: So I, I would say two things. One is um, I think those numbers, we've seen some but not enough analysis specifically on those numbers. Uh, that is, what kind of revenue are we talking about? What's the impact on driving? Uh, What's the impact on the environment? But also the source matters. Most of the analysis we've seen has come out of the governor's office, which is not to say that it's right or wrong, just that it comes from an interested party. And our numbers may agree completely with their numbers. I don't know yet. We haven't completed our analysis, in which case we will still publish it and say, hey, here, we've got numbers that agree entirely with the numbers that are coming out of the governor's office. Or they may not. And having an independent source of that information, I think, is significant and meaningful in its own right, uh, even if it seems potentially duplicative, um, because the, the interest, are totally different.
2: And you mentioned that you're an independent source. I will add that we do have, for example, the Ways and Means Committee is often putting out a fiscal note. You have CHIA, the Center for Health Information Analysis, doing an independent analysis of healthcare questions. We have several think tanks which do have an agenda, but also, you know, are known for putting out pretty good research um, already out there doing these analysis. Why are you better? Why are you different?
1: So I wouldn't say better. In the case of the ones that you mentioned, some of them, okay. I applaud every effort to expand the opportunities for independent analysis in the state. You're pro-data. Uh, I am. Right? I'm pro-data. Right. This is not – I'm p- not competitive. Put that out there on the table. Yeah. I'm not competitive with Chia. If Chia wants to do – they have access to an incredible set of health data. And to the extent that they want to do analysis of what this means for payers, that's wonderful. And I don't find myself feeling competitive with them in any way um, I'm going to meet with folks in the Health Policy Commission in a couple of weeks of the same thing. They do incredible work. I'm very supportive of that. I'd like to see more institutions doing that. So um, the big difference here is lots of these groups have their own corner. And when there's a policy in their corner, they will do it. Not always. A fiscal note is also kind of limited. But The fiscal note is just the budgetary thing. It's not, that's not really what I'm aiming for, so we will put that aside. Um, so a lot of these groups, like, they have their corners. That's not what, what I'm up to. What I'm up to is whatever the legislators do, legislature is doing – we're going to find experts to analyze that. So we, we don't have a corner, right? We are being led around by the nose by the legislature, and that's deliberate. And I don't think there's a group out there doing that. And the, so that's that's just on the legislative side. On the ballot question, like there really isn't, there really isn't anybody doing it. Um, one question fell into the lap of the Health Policy Commission, the nurse staffing question, and they picked it up and did, you know, did an independent assessment of it. Um, right. For which they got blistered, of course, which by one of the
0: sides, and which, you know. Well, which is going to happen. Right.
1: right? Like, I, I've gotten a version of this question in a couple of interviews this week, which is it's a great question, you know. Um, but nonpartisan doesn't mean beloved by all, right? It, that, exactly. That, that is not it, right? That's not what you're aiming for. It means right. sticking, not having a, an interest in the outcome of your research, and sticking as close to the data and evidence as you can, um, and I think the Health Policy Commission did that in that case. But it took a while to get them there, and it was happened to be a health question. Not all ballot questions are related to that. It would be good to have a group to do that. Um, so I think I've, I've, that answers a couple of them. in terms of like the, the like mass budgets and the mass taxpayers, those kinds of groups. Um, it's kind of similar in the sense that uh, I mean I worked at mass budget for a while, so I mean I, I know that world. Um, they're more agenda shaping organizations. They also they have their issues, and they want to shape what the legislature is talking about in the next year, or two years, whatever it is. Um. Whereas that's not w- what C-SPA is. That's not what the center that I'm running is. Wait, it's, what, what, wait how do you say that? Yeah, this isn't, this the I, first time I, I had I to think get it in. No, no I had said. to get it in for that reason. That's how I'm. I imagine it as an acronym, CSPA, not as an initialism, uh, C-SPA, like you're going to get a massage at the beach.
0: Wow, yeah. this is soothing and exactly. I, I feel sort of comforted and that loved. that's the idea. And, I had a and, whole and,
1: team of brand experts work on no, um, but I, I, that's how I that's how I pronounce it. So C-SPA. okay. Um,
2: and what does that stand for?
1: The Center for State Policy Analysis. So, so yeah, so for us, it's really legislation shaping, not agenda shaping. It, and when I say shaping, it's not because we believe in certain outcomes. It's because from a technical perspective, there are ways to make legislation better or worse that is less susceptible to unforeseen or unintended consequence, more aware of how this approach has worked in other places, things like that.
0: And, and when you say, uh, I mean, I think this is an important point that, that you're not wedded to uh, you know unlike some organizations that have more sort of agendas or perspectives they come at you're not wedded to a particular outcome but you are going to be wedded to arriving at an outcome and sort of landing somewhere trying to trying to shed some light on things and um, and just as as happened with the health policy Commission analysis of that of that very contentious ballot question it seems likely that your analyses will uh, you know will tend to sort of cheer one side of an argument and be a little bit of a downer for another side, depending on... I mean, maybe there'll be times when both sides sort of see something to like and pick from it and, and not like, but it it's also seems possible that they will kind of come down more on one side or the other, not that because that's where, what you were aiming for, but that's just where the data take you.
1: I think that's right. And it would be, it would be tragic for a nonpartisan group to flee from meaningful data. Because they felt a necessity – because we felt a necessity to please everyone. Um, I think that vitiates the purpose uh, of C-SPAR organization like this. Now, it's also true that if, if all of our work comes down on a particular side uh, consistently, that's a sign that something has probably gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, we – I don't know. I don't know where that bias would be sneaking in um, at, at, at the moment. Um, but it's definitely something to, to watch for. I mean, the, the things that keep me awake are the things I'm most nervous about in terms of uh, medium and long-term success is maintaining both the nonpartisan quality of the work and the nonpartisan reputation. So I'm alive to any kind of deviation from that um, in terms of perception or, or um, material findings.
2: So who's going to be doing the research?
1: So it varies. Um, on individual topics, we find the best partners we can find. So on TCI we're working with an environmental economist uh, at Tufts uh, named Gibb Metcalf and his, uh, a grad student of his and they're, they're doing work on this. And, um, and on prescription drugs we've got uh, two partners, one at Tufts and one at Harvard Medical School. Uh, and at times I probably will do some of the of the work, um, so it'll vary. But the, the whole model is small staff finding the best experts on individual topics and partnering with them, providing grants to them, partnering with them on the work.
2: You mentioned you'll be doing some work. Can you tell people a little bit about your own background?
1: Yeah. So how far back do you want me to go? I was born on a snowy day mm-hmm. in 1976, uh, which is true. I thought everybody should want to like, we stick to nonpartisan facts, even in our birth stories. Um, we'll be checking that. Yeah, you can go look at Weather Underground and see what the weather was like. Uh, I... I was an academic, so we'll go back that far. I was an academic um, doing literary studies. And uh, was a good story just because the reason I'm no longer an academic is because I, it turns out I really love Boston and I love Boston or Greater Boston more than I loved being an academic. Um, and so I had a short, I had a one-year fellowship here in Greater Boston and basically decided not to go back to my tenure track job because we were happier here with my family. Uh, so uh, we stayed and I left academia uh, and took a job uh, as a uh, at Mass Budget, so That's when I entered the kind of the state policy world. Um, and from there, I went to the Globe, and I was the kind of data journalist. I was the quick study columnist uh, at the Globe for uh, four and a half years until the end of 2018. After which, you know, when I left the Globe and had this idea. Uh, and I was building up this idea, and I was working at a, another research organization, not on state policy, on capital markets. Uh, um, but, you know, that lasted about nine months until I found a partner, and, and here I am um, building up C-SPA.
0: And it, it sort of strikes me that, uh, you know, and, and uh, I was a big fan of, of your work at the Globe, as I think were a lot of those of us who kind of sort of play in the same sandbox of sort of writing uh, about state policy and those kind of issues, that, uh, that what you did there uh, when you said quick, quick study journalist was it kind of a, a, a very quick version of, uh, of what you hope to do in a more rigorous, you know, deliberative way. Here, you tried to sort of bring some some data and perspective to kind of issues that were being batted around uh, in the state.
1: Well, I appreciate the kind words. Um, yeah, that's how I think about it. That is, I was doing sort of one or two day turnarounds on the kind of research that now I might be able to do six or eight week turnarounds. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the advantages of of the center compared to other kind of academic centers. I mean, academic time um, is a whole other experience. Years, right? Yeah. Yeah. Research takes months, years. Um, Journalistic time, you have a day or two. And I guess what we're aiming for is something in between that can still match political deadlines and political timing, Mm -hmm. but we can turn around something more rigorous in six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks. Um, But, yeah, it is building off my sense that you can really get pretty far Uh, into the data and the evidence on a research topic pretty quickly if you know where to look in terms of the uh, published studies and if you know who to talk to in terms of the experts. And, you know, I did discover that in my time at the Globe. It's amazing what, as a, like, professional amateur, uh, how quickly you can get to, like, 80% on a topic um, and be able to write something.
2: And talking about experts, I mean, I was just looking at the names on your advisory council. You've got some really big-time experts on there, you also have people that have certain agendas or are involved with certain organizations. Talk to us a little bit about who's on the council and how you see the council's role.
1: So uh, I, I've been I'm kind of honored. Um, I, you know, you go out into this and start talking to people and tell them you have this crazy idea and you want to start something new, and I expected most people to tell me to to go away and bother somebody else. Uh, but a surprising number of um, kind of eminent folks said they were interested and they would love to be involved. Um, and that includes, you know, uh, Governor Swift uh, and Governor Dukakis. Um, you know, two one Democrat, one Republican, two former uh, governors of the Commonwealth. Um, Mike Widmer, who ran Mass Taxpayers, Ted Landsmark, who's a civil rights legend, uh, who's now um, the director of the Dukakis Center, and David Cash, the dean at UMass uh, Boston um, Policy School. Mike Curry, who was the former president of the NAACP and is at the Mass League of Community Health Centers, uh, Kate Denine, who came to New York, so so it's a mix of young and old. She uh, came from New York and is now at uh, a better city. Um, doing, uh, I, I, she's one of these people I met with her, and was in a, it was just an incredible kind of hour. You meet just fascinating people, and I just you know, begged her to join the advisory council. Um, but I, you know, so it's a good group, and you're right that not everybody is like a nonpartisan wonk there. Uh, but I was aiming for something a little bit different, which is a more kind of bipartisan approach where you have folks from left and right and with different backgrounds and representing different um, demographic groups, young, old, racial, uh, and party. And, I, you know, it's not set in stone. Hopefully we'll attract new more you know, new and other people over time. But, I, you know, I think it's a great group. I'm really honored to, to have them.
0: So, can you talk a little, Evan, about how the idea of the center, and I guess now the the reality of it, we're kind of at the cusp of the idea becoming reality, is uh, you know being sort of received on on Beacon Hill. And I am, uh, I guess, I'm struck by a couple of things. One is that this idea has been kicking around for a long time. There have been proposals over many years, uh, bills filed uh, to create such a thing. When she first came into office, the state treasurer, Depp Goldberg, talked about doing this and then at one point kind of uh, said, I, I doubt it will really happen. I mean, there there was kind of a sense, it seems, almost of resignation up there. And, and, you know, and to be blunt, what it implies is that, you know, is that the folks in charge maybe are not that keen on this sort of thing and that it can be threatening to have this kind of outside evaluation, uh, you know, Uh, Knowledge and information is currency up there, and I think the folks in charge want to be the ones telling members of the legislature, or in the case of ballot questions, you know, different groups want to say, here's what this would
1: mean. So I think that's certainly a potential risk, um, something that I'm alive to. uh, For now, I have been working, I think, pretty smoothly, mostly with kind of staff uh, in the legislature. And I think building up trust with, with leadership and committee chairs over time is one of the great goals of the next sort of six, eight months, as we put out our first pieces. Um, so, so far, no, no uh, active resistance. So I did want to say, so, uh, Michael, when we talked, uh, I guess, a couple of weeks ago, uh, no, maybe two weeks ago, I mentioned that, you know, I had heard tales of in the distant past, there was uh, an outfit like this in the legislature. And after I launched, I got a white paper. Somebody from that world sent me a white paper, which that, is probably now a yellow paper. Right? Yeah it's Oh, just, faded. I don't know how it's digital. It doesn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, that he had written uh, 30 years ago 30, 40 years ago. Wow. About the demise of that institution was the Legislative Research Bureau, uh-huh. uh, which did exist in the '80s. Or through uh, up until the eighties, and which became defunct at that time. Um, so there, there is actually a for, sort of forgotten institutional history. And what of was this. the
0: cause of death? You know, we're this we're hearing this joke this week that Michael Bloomberg died. No, and the Elizabeth cause of Moore. death
1: was Elizabeth Warren. So who who did in this this uh, bureau? My understanding of the history is concerns that it had become a kind of patronage mill. Did it in? Huh? That mm-hmm. they weren't hiring independent researchers. That the That's the That people were hiring, and then they people gave up on it or lost credibility and died. Um, again, I don't know all that much about the history of it, but that, that's what was in this yellow, this faded white paper, as you say. Um, so there's a long history of it. And I think there's a certain reticence about doing it internally. There has been a certain reticence about doing it internally. Um, but so far I've had nothing but sort of cooperative conversations with folks about doing it externally. So I, am enthusiastic and, and, uh, optimistic about about that.
0: Yeah. And I would just say, as Evan mentioned, he and I spoke a couple weeks ago and we did... Uh, I didn't mean to give you away. No, we had a story, <laughs> which you can find on uh, at our site at commonwealthmagazine.org, uh, a story last week on the launch of the center. And um, and, and, and I was kind of interested to uh, reach out and see what the reaction would be from the House Speaker and the Senate President. and and I, And I didn't really get one. I got kind of crickets. I thought, you know they would maybe offer up a oh you know kind of a bland you know we welcome the addition of new you know voices and sources of information that conform are the important work of uh, uh of of lawmakers and 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 state policy but uh, they maybe were a little Little worried about. I don't know. Maybe they thought you'd 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 sort of be. They'd be blurbing your your promotional materials, well, yeah. an and un- then the next month you'd be uh, slamming some proposals. Well, that's exactly. Come I mean, the,
1: a wait and see uh, position doesn't surprise me. Right. I, I have a lot to prove yet, um, and I'm hoping to prove it. Well, Evan Horowitz, it's been great to uh, chat about
0: the, uh, wait, C... C-SPA. C-SPA, of course. I don't know why it just doesn't no, roll right, doesn't. Off right off my tongue. No, right off my tongue. But I think, uh, you know, it, it certainly for those of us who are in the business of trying to make sense of what's going on and inform people, it, uh, I'm sure we will be uh, we will be turning to C-SPA and looking with interest to the reports that you all put out and uh, and hope to maybe have you back. Back on after you've put some out to uh, to talk about them with us. So thanks for joining us no, on the that podcast. Sounds great. Thanks, Michael. And this has been another episode of the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine for my colleague Shira Schoenberg. I'm Michael Jonas. Thanks for listening.